Monday, March 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today is Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you. Good to see you. We have an investor's view of the Golden Globe Awards. We're going to talk allocation strategy, but we're going to start with the big news in the business world, which also happens to be the big news in the world in general. <laughs> and I'm talking about the fact that the Center for Disease Control has given the green light to Johnson & Johnson's one-shot COVID-19 vaccine. Um, over the weekend, uh, the FDA gave emergency use authorization, and this week, millions of doses of J&J's vaccine are expected to be shipped out across the country, and this is good news to say the least. Uh, yeah, that's that's putting it very lightly. I mean, this really is big news in a, in a number of different ways. Um, some key points, I think, to note for investors and just for individuals. Um, I mean, clearly, this is a vaccine that has been demonstrated to protect against COVID-19 uh, related to hospitalization, death, um, I mean, there there is the the different variance uh, aspect to it. This this does seem to be a a, a really promising um, option for a lot of folks. Johnson Johnson is going to make it available on a not for profit basis. So this is one of those things that uh, you could sit there and criticize Big Farm for a lot of things, but but the fact of the matter is, this is going to be um, Johnson Johnson is going to be seen as is is a part of the solution here, and and it's not something that's going to really be uh, impacting their bottom line. So for for investors, maybe short term, you're thinking, oh, that's not so good. But let's think about it a little bit longer term and think about what this company really what they're doing and what it means they stand for. I, I kind of like it. Um, to your point, they will be shipping a lot of that vaccine immediately. It sounds like they'll be delivering more than 20 million doses uh, to the U.S. here this month in March. And then the plan is to deliver 100 million of these single-shot vaccines to the U.S. during the first half of this year. So, really, we're talking about in the next few months. I mean, there should be, I mean, the floodgates really should open. Now, I think this really matters for a lot of reasons. I mean, they're, they're the obvious reasons, of course. I mean, more, more people can get vaccinated. But let's really dig down to, to what these big numbers mean, because I, I think... While we we saw a lot of progress with vaccines, I mean, I, I think the the storage uh, difficulties there were were a little bit of a, a hurdle. The two shot deal is a little bit of a hurdle. We we could get better on uh, that, and it seems like with Johnson and Johnson we have. If you look at our country today, population around three hundred thirty million people, um, round numbers in two thousand and nineteen, around sixteen and a half percent of the American population was sixty five years or older. So basically about 55 million people. Now, the reason why that matters is because, according to the CDC website, 80% of the deaths from COVID-19 are in that 65 years and older demographic. I mean, so overwhelmingly, this is something that threatens older populations. And if you have that 65 years and older population of around 55 million people, well, then you can see very clearly, through Johnson & Johnson alone, we should have more than enough vaccine to really help target the folks most at risk. And I mean, all of a sudden now, you start looking at the one-shot implications of being able to go so far beyond just that 65-year and older demographic. I mean, to put that in context, under 45 years old, that's just 2.5% of the overall deaths. So, I mean, this is clearly something that has impacted 
a, a, a specific cross-section of our society. And it sounds like we have the resources now to really uh, help protect the most vulnerable. I think these next few months are going to be uh, really, really optimistic from a number of different angles. Just to broaden it from a stock perspective, I mean, it, it does seem like a, a crucial data point um, for anyone looking at what we've referred to recently as the great reopening. I mean, yeah. I look at, at shares of Live Nation hitting an all-time high today. Uh, it, you know, the the optimism around this news from Johnson and Johnson is completely understandable. Well, yeah, it really is, and I mean, you're starting to see signs too that these vaccines. Um, definitely help prevent the transmission of this virus, which that was kind of the second um, second big question was like, we, we knew that the vaccines would help prevent people from getting very sick. Um, the other question was, will it prevent the transmission of the of this virus and these and its variants? And it sounds like you know the signs are more and more pointing in the direction that yes, these vaccines in fact do. Um, I, 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 I think probably one of the bigger criticisms out there for folks today, they may look at this Johnson and Johnson vaccine and say, well, you know, the eff- efficacy is only sixty five percent or so, and when you compare that to the other options out there that are 95 percent, well, I mean, you know, I just I don't want to take that va- that that Johnson and Johnson. What if I can get a, a more uh, you know a vaccine that's going to protect me even more? I mean, let's keep things in context here, people, because I mean, when you look at like the flu shot, for example, I mean, the flu shot. On average, I mean, it's again coming from the CDC site. They say that the flu shot, generally speaking, is it's going to reduce the risk of flu illness by forty to sixty percent. So, I mean, th- these vaccines that these companies have pumped out here are really, really special. And I think you're going to have more than enough people in this country that would look at that Johnson and Johnson vaccine and say, "You're telling me I'm going to get sixty-five to seventy percent efficacy, and I just have to take one shot, and I can go knock this thing out." I guarantee you, you're going to have more demand for that shot than you have supply. And all of a sudden now, you've protected not only the most vulnerable, but then think about the number of adults in the country versus kids, right? I think a lot of people are thinking, we got to vaccinate 330 million people. No, no, you don't, because kids make up about 25% of that number. We can't vaccinate those kids with these shots. So really, we're looking at a specific swath of the population. I mean, any which way you cut it, this is tremendous news. And coming from a company like Johnson & Johnson, you know, Johnson & Johnson, you could criticize as an investment from a number of angles. It's not some kind of stock that's going to double overnight. But the longer you hang on to it, the more sense it makes. And I was just curious, I was looking at the total price return of Johnson & Johnson over the last decade compared to the market. And the total price return, I mean, this is a dividend aristocrat. So, obviously, you know, this is one that you buy and you just hang on to. Over the last 10 years, the total total price return on Johnson Johnson shares is about 250% versus the market's 195. So, it may not be a stock that you own and feel like, oh, this makes a tremendous tremendous amount of sense in, in the near term. But if, if, if you buy this stock and just kind of tuck it away and forget about it, I bet you people that bought this stock 10 years ago are looking back and thinking, wow, hey, that's, that's, that's not a bad one to own. And then, Think about this. You know, I was going through the company's uh, quarterly results here back at the end of January, and it's it's really impressive to see what this business has done to date. It has 28 different platforms and or services within the company that each deliver one billion dollars or more in annual sales for the for the business of Johnson and Johnson. So think about that for a second. I mean, 
that that's just tremendous. I mean, this is really one of the more important healthcare companies on the planet, and I'm just super enthusiastic to see that they've been able to demonstrate such capability here. And and I think this is just going to be a real turning point uh, for the for this not only this country but really for the world here uh, in the first half of this year. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter. At MarketFoolery is our Twitter handle. Uh, we've got a question from Robin Firk, who hit us up on Twitter saying, I invest a small amount every month in shares, both in the UK and the US. I have over 30 stocks now, but should I keep buying new stocks or invest in shares already in my portfolio to increase my holdings? Love the show. Keep up the awesome work. Uh, thank you for that, Robin. I love this question because I I think this is to me it's a couple of things. It's the sign of um, an investor um, who is basically like Robin's. Robin's the investor we all we all want everyone to be. (laughs) It's like like Robin's the invest. It's like yes, don't just hang it all on one stock. Look to build out that portfolio. Um, When you're looking at thirty stocks. Uh, you know, this uh, uh, part of me wants to say, Jason, um, how much time do you want to spend on this? Because you like, <laughs> like, there are people, smart people, who will make a good case for, hey, you know what, thirty might be the outer limit of what you want to have in terms of individual stocks. There are other smart people who will make a good case for going bigger. Like, look, build oh, that yeah. out. Get you know, go from thirty to fifty. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I mean it is it is a I mean it's it's a good question and I think one of the reasons why it's a good question is cuz it prompts discussion and debate. There's no one uh cut and dry answer there. There's no hard and fast rule. It does it does depend on the individual um what stage of life you're in, your your risk tolerance, what type of investor you feel like you are. I mean, I like I I always I always tell people, I mean, I I feel like just based on what I do for a living, I mean, I feel like I have probably a much higher risk tolerance than, than a lot of folks out there. I mean, it just I just do. Um, and and, and to, to put that into numbers, just so that Robin understands better, um, I personally own shares in 29 different companies today, and actually 30 if you count The Motley Fool, but we're not public, so that's not something that really I include. But when we talk about uh, shares of publicly traded companies, man, I own I own shares in 29 different companies. To me, that feels like a lot, but but you know, darn it, man, there are just so many great businesses out there that I'd love to own even just a little piece of, and so not all of those positions are created equal. Um, but but I, I, even I feel like I probably could have a little bit more room because I'm sure there are going to be other businesses that I'd love to be an owner in. Um, I, I think you know, if you own too few, you are taking a chance. Right, you're throwing maybe a little bit more risk out there than than you might be comfortable with. You own too many, then it can become difficult to keep track of. There's there's the the risk of of maybe dragging down returns in some capacity and just overall more or less matching the market. So you you do have to kind of figure this out on your own as you go along. I think a while back, a lot of research out there said that twenty to thirty was a pretty uh, standard 
answer. Most people were able to just, you know, handle a portfolio of 20 to 30 companies, and that was a reasonable number where you could manage it and really start you know, try to maximize returns. And, and you know, your transaction costs really uh, aren't going to aren't going to be uh, too too terribly concerning. Now, I think as time has gone on, and we've seen the way the internet has changed the game, it's made investing more accessible uh, to everyone. Transaction costs are essentially nothing now, so there's no real cost in owning more other than you know what you're able to handle and so it sounds like nowadays that number that was 20 to 30 is is able able to go upwards of of even 50 for some folks and and so i think really a lot of it depends on how much you think you can manage um i don't think 30 is too many i don't think it's too little i absolutely can see a world where owning more than 30 makes sense um, I have a feeling that by the end of this year, I will own th- more than 30 myself uh, and probably be looking to add even a little bit more. But by the same token, Peter Lynch, I think, put it beautifully. He said, you know, the best stock to buy is probably one you already own. And, and I mean, there are a lot of great businesses out there uh, where, where a good decision is just to add to a position you already have. Um, I think a lot of folks will anchor and they'll say, well, the stock is, I bought it five years ago. It's done tremendously. Uh, it's way more expensive now. Therefore, I can't buy it. Um, clearly, I think uh, we we certainly have shown through the years here at The Fool that that's just not true, right? You can add to your winners and that can be tremendously uh, lucrative because those winners are winning because the businesses are doing well. <laughs> so, um, I think 30 is is a neat number. I think you can go higher. Uh, it really just depends on how comfortable you are with it. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it, it's also the sort of thing where, you know, whenever we get the question, you know, should I sell this stock? You know, one of the answers to that is like, well, you should sell a stock if you have a better place for your money. Yeah. And when you've got a portfolio of thirty stocks, <clears throat> it can be pretty, in, in some ways, freeing and easier to weigh new positions versus existing positions because you, you in in that sense it is a zero sum game. You know, when we get the question should I buy Home Depot or Lowe's? It's like, well you, you can actually buy a couple of shares of both. Like if you know if you have <laughs> you know, as opposed to the situation Robin's in or anyone's like, well, I'm thinking about this new position, but I'm also thinking about uh, you know th- these existing positions I have. Well, you can you know you can have a battle royale. Yeah. You, you can basically do the pros and cons of each, and then um, get it down to a single stock. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the other nice thing is that as as time goes on, the longer that you invest, I mean chances are you're going to have some positions in your portfolio that have done very well, and perhaps a position that started out as just a three percent allocation in your portfolio has grown to ten or twelve or maybe even fifteen or more. There's nothing wrong, even if you're still a big believer in that business. I mean, good portfolio management would absolutely accept the argument of trimming a little bit from that winner uh, and, and maybe diversifying that money away to another idea. Because just like you said, I mean, one of the reasons why you might sell is if you feel like that uh, there's a better place for your money. I mean, another reason why you might sell is just through straight up portfolio management. Perhaps the position has gotten a little bit large. It makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe you're losing a little bit of sleep at night. Doesn't mean you got to sell the whole stock. I mean, keep that position. Maybe you just whittle it down a little bit and you take some of those gains and you put them into other new ideas. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to go about it. The Golden Globe Awards were held last night. Netflix, the clear winner from an investing standpoint, Netflix taking home 10 statues, six in the TV categories, four in the film categories. And, 
you know, this is this is one of those like, we talk all the time about Netflix and their their cost of content. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's things like it's nights like last night that if you're a Netflix shareholder, you go, okay, they're do- <laughs> they're, they're doing they're doing a good job of investing that money. And um, I was saying uh, this to to you and a couple other people on Slack this morning. I watched the entire thing. I was struck by the number of times that um, someone winning on behalf of Netflix thanked Ted Sarandos, but did not thank Reed Hastings. Ah, and and yeah. it's you know it reminded me, Jason, of a conversation you and I had recently about um, Etsy. Um, it was a few months back when Etsy was the, the the headline around Etsy was how much they were investing in their platform to help their sellers to basically you know make it work for their sellers. And one of the things you and I talked about was yeah, if you're Etsy, you 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 got to make everybody happy. You yeah. got to make the customers happy, but you got to make the <laughs> sellers happy too. And you know, in for the for the people in Hollywood, it kind of makes sense. Like I, you know, I I don't know if anyone on on Twitter or elsewhere is is looking at this like, oh boy, you know, like trying to create some sort of fight between the co CEOs. To me, it just sort of made sense. I mean, Sarandos is the person at Netflix charged with getting the content. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I don't think that would be. I wouldn't perceive that to be a slight uh, towards Reed Hastings at all. I mean, I. I would think that's probably a bit more of an out of sight, out of mind thing, because to your point, yeah, I mean, I think Ted Sarandos is the first point of contact for a lot of these people. Um, and so, one of the things that Netflix, that Sarandos, I mean, and certainly Hastings has, has been a part of this as well, um, what, they've, what they've really aimed to do is to create an environment where people want to work with them. I mean, content is their business, so they need to create an environment where people want to work with them. And, you know, you and I have talked about it before with uh, FX, which I I've always thought FX was a great, um, a great proxy for this because they, they have a reputation for just giving giving creative freedom with basically no questions asked and just saying, Hey, listen, you know, we, we want to be the conduit for all of these great ideas. We know we do something really well and that's distribution and giving people a chance. Um, maybe you're not going to make the most money working with FX, but that's not necessarily always, always the, the primary goal, at least in the near term either. Right. I mean, it's first and foremost to get that stuff produced and get it out there because, uh, that, that really can, can oftentimes just be the first step in, in the impacts of great content. But, um, I mean, Hey, listen, I, I, I don't, I don't watch stuff based on the awards that they win, but that doesn't mean those awards don't matter. I mean, those awards that gives, that gives credence, right. That gives credibility to the work that you're doing. And, and when you have people calling out, an individual specifically like Ted has been called out. I mean, that means he's doing something right. You created a place where people want to be, where people want to work. And, uh, and that matters because that typically means they'll keep coming back and, uh, and, and you can kind of keep doing those same things. And, and I, you know, I don't, I don't think it doesn't, it doesn't feel like Netflix has some end goal of being world dominating and just being able to call the shots. It feels like they have this end goal of wanting just to be a place where people want to go make good content that they can get out to big audiences. Two other uh, sort of smaller winners I, I thought from last night. Um, one is Teladoc, just because one of the <laughs> one of the few 
one of the few like there were there were a lot of problems with the with the broadcast <laughs> last night. They were, you know, they were trying to pull off a lot of different things, and a lot of them didn't work. Yeah. Um, but um, one of the few prepared comedy bits that did work was a, a really good bit where different actors and actresses were. Um, it, basically doing telemedicine visits um, <laughs> with with real doctors, um, yeah. and it's you know it, I might post it in the Market Foolery Twitter feed just because um, it, it was funny. It was it was well done, and I just thought uh, you know it, the name brand in telemedicine is Teladoc. I feel like that's a that's a that's a tiny win that doesn't show up on the balance sheet. And the, but the other is Disney because <laughs> Disney um, won a couple for um, for Pixar. Uh, for, oh, for yeah, the movie yeah. Soul, won Best Animated, and I think it, I think it won Best Soundtrack as well. Um, but also, Disney owns ABC. Yes, ABC is the network in April where the Academy Awards are going to be broadcast. And twenty minutes into the broadcast last night, I turned to my family and I said, "Whoever is producing the Academy Awards." Is furiously taking notes right now oh, I would on, on on the few things that are working and the many things that are not working. Oh, so that's imagine. a. I feel like that's an opportunity for for Disney to um, uh, really outpoint uh, Comcast, uh, which owns NBC from last night. I think you're probably right. Um, I, it, it's been a weird time for everyone. I I, I didn't watch the the broadcast, but I, I would absolutely uh, thumbs up posting that that YouTube video of the, the telemedicine visits, because after you sent me that link and I watched it this morning, I mean, it was very, very clever, very well done. It was funny. I mean, the juxtaposition of actors playing in the drama along with real doctors trying to just kind of trying to not be too glib, but just, it, it was really pretty funny. I liked it. Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.